I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. This podcast is all about the adventures that Danielle and I have as dance teachers and choreographers living here in New York City. We'll be sharing our experiences and all the ridiculous and hilarious truths. With that being said, let's get into today's topic. Um, so today, I never usually do this part. Um, <laughs> so today we are going to talk about um, DEIA work within the um the arts classrooms, right? The performing arts classrooms. And more specifically, we'll mostly focus on dance because that's what Tony and I teach. Um, For anyone who does not know, DEIA stands for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion. Oh my God, I just blinked. We the never a, say the full the thing anymore. <laughs> I'm going to, oh, anti-racism. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism work. Um, I have not said the full thing in years at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so this is something that's been around for a long time, but mm-hmm. obviously after, you know, the summer of 2020, it became a huge deal and a lot of companies and schools um, and professional work settings around the world and especially in the United States are bringing this kind of engagement and focus and lens into their work. Um, Where I work currently, the school I work at currently, they actually, we actually were talking about DEIA programming before the pandemic. Um, So I actually like did some readings and like had some discussions and panels and all of that before the pandemic, but it's definitely something that has continued to grow and it's been continued to, um, to change as well. Um, And I do think that it's very important, especially if you teach in a community like New York City. Um, There are lots of other cities out there. It's even important if you don't, if you treat, you know, if you teach in like rural, you know, upstate New York or something, it is really important that um, kids are, kids and young adults are um, exposed to what DEIA work is, what it means, what it looks like, and how we can use it in arts programming. And I also just like truly believe that the more informed we are, the more we talk about it, the more we learn about it and, it, and use it, um, the better that hopefully our you know, upcoming generations will be. It's like I said, it's not, we, I mean, we're talking specifically education, but like it's appearing everywhere with companies as well. Um, well, I mean, the bad version of it is diversity managers, but um, it's appearing everywhere simply because a lot of companies are realizing by ignoring diversity in all its variations that they're pulling away from target demographics that they've always wanted to reach or, or maintaining customers that they've had before. So it's very important. And I think it's one of those things of like, it's how we don't have the shock factor when we do have people that are from rural areas or when you are brought up, you know, when you do have to interact with other diverse groups within the diaspora that you're not surprised or you're not having major cultural shocks, Um, which I think in an age of information, we just shouldn't be having major cultural shocks when you can literally Google and, you know, access whole volumes of knowledge that we couldn't in the past. so I think we should start with like, how, what does that look like in the actual educational setting? Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thing that I love, but one of the schools that I'm doing it is that we actually have what we call freedom ring. 
um, where on our half days on Wednesdays, we gather half the school um, and we talk about a person of color or wherever, however we choose to diversify that particular month that like models one of the behavior, one of the values that the schools has, but it's like we introduce the kids to someone that they, we normally wouldn't need to talk about or have access to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that. Cause like, it's literally like a 30 minute assembly. And like, we literally just had ours this week. And it's, it was a 30 minute assembly where we talked about Simone Biles and all of her major, you know, accomplishments but it's like we're a school setting we don't have gymnastics when would we ever have to bring up someone that has a hat bring her up but she's accomplished so much so we are teaching our kids about her and I think like the I looked at the list for the school year it's like there are activists there are singers there's like a farmer on there like that like came up with like this new grain that the U.S. is using for like subsidies or things like that like it's such a wide variety of list of people but like, that was one way that my particular school was like, how can we, how can we internalize or how can we actually make this a part of our day? So we have one every, you know, every week we have this 30 minute assembly, you know, that is just kind of built into their day. So those are one of the small things that like programs and organizations can do is put it on the schedule. Because a lot of times mm -hmm. if you go, oh, we'll make time for it, it never actually happens. Yeah. Um, so I would say for anyone that's looking to incorporate a lot of these these tactics is make it a part of your actual weekly or daily schedule. It's the only way that it's going to happen. Yeah. The only way that's going to happen. Yeah. That's um, last year we started doing this and this year it's become much bigger. And this is all like kudos to one of my coworkers who really took this under her wing and made it her own. But at my current school, one of our biggest ways that we are putting DEIA work, you know, in front of the kids and having them understand it is through our read aloud program. And so it is just books about anything and everything. It is all diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism, obviously grade specific and appropriate, um, fiction, nonfiction, and having them really listen to those stories and talk about it and understand it. Mm -hmm. And then we're also doing something similar like Tony where once a month at our like community meeting where like the whole school gets together mm -hmm. um we're gonna like celebrate a person which is so important too because also in this day and age and in you know um you know academics for k through 12 a lot of work is solely focused on your math and and like li literacy skills on your and test scores it's focused yeah, on your test scores yep Right. And the test scores, and there's not enough learning about like the amazing things that amazing people are doing out in the world and all of the different avenues and adventures that they go, that they go on. So it's important that we teach about this. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of how we're doing it as a whole in our, in, in school. Now we also have separate stuff that the staff is expected to do and, um, and be part of um, to further our, our studying and knowledge as well. Um, but in terms of like what we're doing with the kids, it's definitely through our read aloud program. Um, so yes. let's talk about what can you do in your arts classes? And again, we're gonna talk also specifically, more so specifically dance classes to bring you know, these lessons in and make them engaging and valuable. For starters, I love, it's, it's one of the organizations, well, two organizations that I work with, um, Bronx Arts Ensemble and New York City Center. 
we they're really big on bringing in a diverse array of artists to interact with children in their programs. And that is something that I'm a big fan of. Um, when budget allows and, you know, think the plan is aligned because it's not as easy as do, you know, it's not as easy as saying it. But when the opportunity does present itself for organizations to bring in artists and people of a diverse variety into the classrooms for dance, for music, for any of the arts classes, I think it makes a difference. Um, I know, like, again, I have no Hispanic background whatsoever. So whenever we start talking about a lot of the ballrooms or a lot of traditional dances, I'm very quick to be like, hey, I know this organization. They can come and do a one-day workshop. You know, they can teach them about it, and it's their heritage, it's their culture. So they're going to be able to answer questions that I can only, you know, research and look up. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, I'm a big proponent of bringing in guest artists or bringing in guest speakers or guest presenters. Um, that is something that I, that's why I like working with these two organizations that I do, but like in general, and I've seen schools across the board do this. And granted, we, me and Danielle are very lucky. We're in New York City, so we have easier access to these, a a wide variety of artists. Um, But I would say, you know, if you're not in a location that has easy access to it, reach out on the internet, reach out, reach out to people that you might admire within these individual, within the individual diaspora, people travel. People might be in town for other gigs and they would happily pop in to do a workshop. A lot of times if you're dealing with, you're within a school setting, you know, they will volunteer time to come in and speak and things like that. But like letting your students see these people firsthand is a wonderful resource. And then if you can't let them see the resources firsthand, YouTube. I love yeah. showing, when I introduce ballet, I will, we will, we of course hit our, our balancing and, and oh my God. Why am I blanking on the other big ballet name? Ah, maybe, I, but when we're introducing ballet, I always hit on them, but I also I always also hit on Catherine Dunham. You know, mm-hmm. I also hit on, you know, Ballet Hispanico, you know, National Cuban Ballet. Like I throw in all these other major ballet organizations that are not predominantly European centric, you know, just because Dance Theater of Harlem, like there's just, I want them to see the ballet is done by a variety of different people, mm-hmm. you know? So whenever we hit the ballet unit, we talk about everyone doing ballet, you know? Um, or math. I was just going to say, if you are teaching in like a school setting, smart boards are your greatest mm-hmm. tool. And if you don't have a smart board in your room, ask to do a push in lesson and be like, today we're observing and we're discussing because I need to show, mm-hmm. because that's one of my favorite things to do is, um, is same. Like, even if we're not talking about a specific artist or group or even style, like say we're working on um, um, formations and understanding what formations are and how to create formations and why they're important in dance and why they're interesting. I will then show a video of a dance piece that has a lot of formations to have the, the kids watch it and see it and have them be able to actually identify and by just showing them a piece by like dance theater, uh, uh, dance theater of Harlem, you know, per se, right. Or something like that. You're exposing them to artists who look like them. Um, potentially you're exposing them to different choreographers. You're exposing them to different styles, even if that's not what your lesson is on. 
Mm-hmm. And because I've done that before too, even with like, I, I'm a southerner. So like every time I teach formations, I use battle of the bands, like marching bands, because that's a huge thing in the South these giant marching band competitions where they turn, you know, they use their bodies walking across the field to create a Pac-Man or all kinds of these crazy things. Um, but it's the perfect way to teach my kids about like straight lines, diagonal lines, like all the crazy mm-hmm. variations and shapes. I use marching band videos because what better way to talk about a bunch of people get, getting into formation and staying in sync with each other, you know? And then it becomes a question of, oh, well, what is this marching band? So, you know, I get to do a quick, you know, like 10 minute lesson on Battle of the Bands or, you know, HBCs, historically black colleges and things like that. And that's like a one and done type deal just because I used a video on marching band. I'm able to talk about, you know, a whole array of colleges that may or may not be known by some of these students, you know, uh, and that's yeah. elementary to my high school kids and varying levels, you know, but I think, I think you have to, and this is so so much pressure on our teachers sometimes but like when you take the time to kind of stop and think about what creative ways I can diversify a lesson plan that I'm already doing mm-hmm. that is what that is what you you can get out of this like that is what I've discovered is that if you just go oh I have to do one more thing it becomes cumbersome but if you go I already have this lesson plan what are other examples that I can give to aid in my to aid in what I'm already teaching, that's when it becomes easier to diversify. Absolutely, and I think, like you said, it's so easy to to overlook that when it's like you can actually easily put this in by just the simplest thing is just exposing them by video. Yeah. Um, I agree. I mean, stuff that I have done before and love to do, and the stuff I want to continue to do is definitely bringing in guest artists. Like again, we've talked about this on another episode. Like know your strengths and know when like a certain genre is not your strength and ask to bring guest artists in exposing them to people who traditionally know these dances and who are professionals in that field is going to be so beneficial um and sometimes using resources that you didn't even realize you had like sometimes a school-wide email to staff like I did that once where I was, we were studying like finger tutting and hand tutting. And I was like, I wish I had someone that, that like knew, that was uh new sign language, American sign language better than I do. Cause I'm amateur at best. Um, and so I just sent like a school-wide email being like, hey, is anyone ASL, American sign language approved or certified? And I had like four teachers being like, yeah, why do you need that in dance? I go, because finger tutting and dance, like you would be surprised how much it syncs up. Can you come in and like watch a lesson and like talk about it with them? So we watched this finger tutting video and the kids have been learning it for like two weeks. And then I had, uh, she was like a science teacher, like someone they someone that they deemed is not cool, mm-hmm. come in and start doing all, you know, she was going through a speech really, but it looked like hand tutting when you put it to music and things like that. And so like the kids lost their mind over that of just being like, they were like, we had no idea that, you know, deaf or hard of hearing could still dance. And so we got to talk about Death West, which is a theater company mm-hmm. that does uh, interpretation for Broadway shows, or they do full on full on shows with um, hearing impaired individuals. So like, we went on this whole tangent about like, just the idea that people that have hearing impaired issues being a part of the arts, because I had one teacher that came, you know, that was ASL, and she was literally like, I learned because of her mom. Her mom um, mm-hmm. is hard of hearing. And so she was like, I've been speaking ASL since I was like 10, you know? And so a skill that she only ever used with her family ended up being a great segue 
And literally she gave up her planning period one day to come in with us and the kids had a great time. That's so really amazing. And that even, yeah, that's even got me thinking about like reaching out to certain people within our school community already. And I also know like, um, like what an amazing lesson I'm already thinking like, yes, like for our third graders, like let's do a whole lesson on like you, like what it means to like have hearing or visual impairment and be able to dance and show because that is like a big deal and exposing kids to those things. It's just more opportunities to understand more about the art form and also like why art is important and how it can truly change lives. Um, So like we said, ask your school community, bring in guest artists, I'm telling you videos like internet resources are gold, especially if you're in a position where you're at a studio or a performance company or a school and there is not a budget. Videos are gold. And I've had like managers before be like, oh, why are the kids dance class? The kids just shouldn't be sitting and watching a video. But let me tell you, when you come in and a kid is able to watch a video and tell you like, oh, I'm noticing the tempo of the dance, the levels, the Mm -hmm. shape. I'm noticing they're using this genre of music. I notice they're using this style of dance. I notice they're doing X, Y, and Z. You're like, this is why we show videos because it's not just about the actual physical activity, but it's about understanding like the art as a whole. And I think- um, Children are are kinesthetic and visual learners. So Mm -hmm. seeing things, like I said, they may able to see things. That was about like, I'm thinking about we uh, in our uh, school assembly, we showed videos of Simone Biles doing floor work and bar work and the high beams. And the kids were like, ooh, and eyeing, just because they'd never seen someone do it. And again, a lot of my students are Black and Hispanic. So like to see someone that looks just like them, you know, get on, you know, get up there and be on the video in front of the entire school dancing, you know, or doing gymnastics and things like that. You, you just don't know how it's going to translate. And so I'm always a proponent of using visual aids as best as you can. Like all of my classes, like PowerPoints. If I have to show anything, it's rarely me talking. It's going to be a PowerPoint, me bullet points and videos. And then we're up on our feet moving, you know? So I definitely think there are numerous ways to diversify your lesson plans and make things accessible to all. Um, with little little effort, like I worked at a school where we had several hearing impaired, and literally we were showing Broadway musicals, like or snippets of uh, numbers from Broadway musicals, and the school was like, um, "Send us all our videos ahead of time so that we can make sure they have subtitles and things like that." And literally, our program was like, "Oh no, we can do that. That's easy." You know, and it's like taking the two extra minutes to make sure that the subtitles actually worked on the videos that we used was no real effort on our part, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, personally, because I watch everything with subtitles, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but so it's just, it's one of those things of like, I, I would encourage anyone to don't think of it as a burden. Think of it, like, literally don't think of it as a burden because especially like me, Danielle and I can tell you, after doing it after year, after year, after year of doing this, I don't really think about it. Like, it doesn't become a forethought. If anything, it's more time being like, why didn't you diversify? That was so much easier. It would have been so yeah, much easier I mean- if you had diversified. <laughs> That's one of my biggest things is like every year my goal is to like continue to bring more DIA focus opportunities and social emotional opportunities into class. And I just have to think of like more resources to add or reaching out to more people, right? Um, another one I was going to say is books are awesome. Yes. Um, there's some really amazing books out there about, um, about, dance and the arts 
that is anything from written written by or about choreographers, about dance companies, um, that you can really, ex again, exposing them, if you wanna expose them to different types of choreographers and dance genres, there are amazing books that you can just do a read aloud and then have them talk about what they learned, right? And then maybe you pair it with, okay, so, um, we are going to read a book about Alvin Ailey and talk about Alvin Ailey. And then we're going to learn some modern dance, the Alvin Ailey style. Right. And then we're going to have them watch revelations, right? Like there's some really amazing, um, stuff you can do there. That's a lot of stuff I usually do in my spring semester. When we have more time, I try to think like fall is like fundamentals and technique. And then spring is like, all right, we're going to dive more into like artistry and artists and genres and understanding them. Um, and especially once you get to, I would say about that third grade range, having them listen to you read a book, talking about the person, learning about the technique style, watching a piece by them. They really truly grasp that information. Um, there's also some amazing books for social emotional, which goes into, um, equity and inclusion a lot, right? Equity yes. inclusion about like how different people learn or how you treat each other with respect, right? Inclusion. Um, one of my favorite books is I I'm like looking at it right now. I'm in my classroom. Um, giraffes can't dance is an amazing book that honestly, like it's for younger kids, but I, all kids seem to love it to talk about like how you are allowed to have your own style and be to your own drum. And you don't need to necessarily do exactly what everyone else says. And that doesn't make you less than, and this is how we can celebrate. And it's, a, like I said, fantastic book for like K through two, but older kids love it as well. Um, and also okay. social emotional learning for arts teachers. That is our bread and butter. Mm -hmm. because it's like what this is how I was actually able to do choreography classes with younger classes where literally it was like we would literally pick an emotion because we have the emo um the smiley faces and sad faces circles that we can like stick mm -hmm. to the board and so literally we would literally be like create a happy dance what is your happy dance you oh know, like, yes I've done that too that, well, you know yeah. and so being able to teach them like I just remember the 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 access to a wide variety of emotions that we would get from the kids that the teachers that the academic teachers were coming is like I just didn't know how to talk about that emotion with them and it's literally like I'm like they're children they feel all the same emotions we do if not more so they just don't have the words for it I said so I don't need words in dance class but you can physically show me right and a lot of times too like a lot of younger kids elementary school kids and even older kids, they don't understand how to verbalize their emotions. Mm -hmm. So having a whole lesson on in dance, part of dances and arts is storytelling and emoting. And I do the same thing where we do, especially with the young kids, show me a happy dance, show mm -hmm. me a sad dance. Like, cause yep. then they start to understand the whole movement quality changes. And then they're also able to express that better. And it really does help with that. So we are really like arts teachers, movement teachers, like we are really shaping the path for like these kids to hone all sorts of different schools and be just like a better generation. Um, and I think sometimes it's, it just, you know, we get so boggled down in like the technique and meeting deadlines and making sure yeah. the show is ready that we forget like why we decided to teach an art in the first place. Because these emotional, and I just, I'm a big proponent of social emotional over all of them for me, just because I find, like I said, 
giving children or giving people pre-adult, whether that's teenager or young adult, but anyone, you know, before they're full on adults, the ability to access these emotions and find ways to creatively express them or to tap into at least try to understand them for themselves makes for better adults and causes less social drama is the best way I can put it. There are less fights in mm-hmm. schools that have, that have had social emotional training, you know, schools with stronger arts programs have less fighting, uh, back talk like there there's tons of research that you don't even have to take my word on it there's tons of research on how students that go through these type of trainings at a younger age or continue to study have access to these type of things and the art programs that further these things are just better connected to themselves and their emotions and to higher thought processes so they can process bad breakups arguments with their parents, arguments with their friends, a world that's ever evolving and changing, you know? It's one of those things that when they have access to these type of uh, outlets and forms to understand, it just allows them to be better people because they're not holding on to these things. They, they learn how to work through them, or at the very least, they learn how to verbalize them. Or I shouldn't say verbalize. They learn to express them in certain ways that I would encourage any program to... To, to further their arts education so that they can teach it this way, you know? Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. So that brings us to our tip of the week. In this part of the episode, we like to just give a nice little tip to our listeners out there. Um, my tip of the week is self-preservation. <laughs> um, me and Danielle are both very exhausted because very much like her and I predicted, once the world opened up or fake opened up, we can discuss that at a later time. But like once things start moving again, it would be very zero to 60. Um, yeah. And a lot of institutions have forgot all of those wonderful time management things that we've done during the pandemic. Um, but I wanna encourage people to not forget them for themselves. Um, I am being really strong about getting home and being like, I am not answering emails or I, you know, I'm coming home and it is a non-work time, you know, and I'm still working way too much, but I'm being, I'm trying to be very good about giving myself rules about when to work and when to play. Um, and I would encourage everyone to do that. Like it's, and it's crazy. I am busy to the point I have to schedule my playtime, but so be it. I, it's, it's important enough to me that if I can schedule for work, I can schedule time for me to watch this movie. Like I, I got to see uh, Shang-Chi, the most recent Marvel movie that came out. I've been dying to see it. So I scheduled time opening weekend because I was like, no one's going to spoil this movie for me. I've been waiting for it for so long. So I literally like in the midst of a several rehearsals that weekend, I was exhausted, but I was like, cool, I'm going to the movies. Got out of the movies, definitely crashed, but I was able to make that time for myself that I don't regret in the long run. So I definitely say self-preservation and and creating space for yourself, even as your schedule evolves and change. Yeah, even I needed that reminder. That was something I really took to heart during the pandemic and staying at home and then shifting back to in-person last spring. And I became so good at it. So good at like, nope, once I leave, like I'm done and I can go out and I can take a workout class. I can take a dance class. I can chill. I can watch a movie. Or I just can sit on your sofa drink, like, and watch TV. Whatever, right. 
And I will say that since we started work again, I have not been doing that. I've been like, I have so much to do. I have so much to work. So I even needed that reminder to be like, nope, like the world's not going to, you know, blow up. I'm not going to get fired. If something doesn't get done, it's going to be fine. Um, so I appreciate you for saying that. Um, and then um, my tip of the week would be um, dance for dance teachers who are going back, studios, performance companies, schools. Do not beat yourself up at um, feeling exhausted. I was just telling Tony that I'm back to teaching 14 dance classes a week. And then on top of that, the performance company I work for is back. We're about to start live in-person rehearsals in October. We already have some in-person events signed up, which means I got to get my choreography brain back and going, which is, this is all really exciting. And I'd rather teach 14 classes a week than not, but it's exhausting after not doing it for um, mm -hmm. 18 months, right? For, for going from you know, doing asynchronous barely to, you know, asynchronous once a week to, you know, virtual over Zoom once a week, you know, to when I came back in the spring, I was teaching, but I wasn't, I wasn't teaching 14 classes a week. Um, and so it's okay if you're exhausted and it's okay if you're like, but I used to be able to do this. What's wrong with me? Am I out of shape? It's okay to Feel those feelings. Um, just yep. know that, you know, it, you'll get back into it. And also that like, you know, it's, it's an exciting time and we're all, our bodies are all going to need to, to adjust. Um, so just recognize it for what it is and don't feel discouraged. Take that time, like Tony said, to reset um, because you can be excited that you're back teaching and choreographing again, but you could also be exhausted and that's okay. Absolutely. Well, that's it for us. The curtain has closed on this episode, but we hope that you will join us next week. And every week after that. Episodes come out every Thursday. You can find us on your favorite podcast apps. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We are Point PYT on all platforms. I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. And I'm your co-host, Daniel Colangelo. See you next week on Point Your Toes, The Adventures of an NYC Dance. Set free when you're school and life.